Bible, the Great Commission. But I suggest today that we call it the Great Adventure. And just as I have heard your uh, prayers and petitions and also praises, you're to be commended, Josh, to praise God in the midst of the adventure that sometimes comes with suffering, does it not? But Jesus says in that 28th chapter, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. For I am with you always. You have to go out. It was a regulation in the 19th century for the U.S., United States, life-saving stations and the life-saving service, really. It was a regulation that you had to go out in fact, if it's all right with you, I'd like to just read it so that you can say, yes, it's true. It was in the book. I read the book. Maybe you all have this book at home. I don't know. Don't want to share something that's redundant with you, but I just found this amazing. The regulations did indeed say, the keeper of the life-saving station will not desist from his efforts until by actual trial the impossibility effecting a rescue is demonstrated. A keeper must test the surf by launching his boat. He did indeed have to go out. That was the job of the keeper. And with his crewmen, probably a boat of six to ten men, rowing backwards into a horrible storm, more than likely, to save the crew of a sinking ship or a vessel, they went out. And so, of course, one surfman said, well, what if we don't come back? And the keeper said, there's nothing in the regulations about coming back. But the regulations that you committed to, as Emil spoke about, that commitment said you had to go out. And so I wonder if in Jesus' great commission, the regulation is go but he doesn't say anything about coming back, right? He says, go and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them. Well, also, in addition to life-saving stations, there are lighthouses. Can anybody picture a lighthouse with me? Yeah? And there were also comfort stations, Maybe not the comfort station you're thinking about, but there were comfort stations and centers of refuge. And let me explain the difference. Uh, we were on coastal North Carolina for six years with the Coast Guard, and we had an opportunity to see these beautiful lighthouses. In fact, uh, the Cape Hatteras Lighthouse, anybody been there? Some North Carolina, yeah? It stands beautifully, but it was so close to being overtaken by the ocean that they had to move it back because it would stand unflinchingly, shining that light for the safety of all those sailors. Centers of refuge, or comfort stations, as they've been called, are mostly on the coast of Florida. Because after all, if you shipwreck in Florida, the advice was to simply stand up and walk to shore. <laughs> and there you would have a beautiful paradise to live out the rest of your life. But the warning in the comfort station was, here's a little food and a little drink, because if you step 
north, you will be consumed by alligators and snakes and mosquitoes, right? And there might be a keeper there that his entire responsibility was to keep the vandals and the varmints out. But the only thing there was a little food and maybe a map. 26 miles down the beach, you'll find another comfort station. You can't live here, you have to move on. So I ask you, has Jesus called us to be a life-saving station with a crew of men or women who are willing to go into the storm to rescue those who don't yet know Christ? Or do we stand solidly with one voice like a lighthouse? Repent! Repent! Right? The mission of a lighthouse is to say, go away, stay away, don't come any closer. And I'm all for repentance. But that's not our only voice, is it? Or are we a comfort station where we draw people in overnight so long as they're comfortable and then shoo them on down the beach to find another comfort station? Which will you be? Will you be in mission to the world, to go to all the world, or you will expect the world to come to you? Well, in 1 Peter, the opal just read to us, the mission is a little more clearly spelled out. Turn there if you'd like to. Verse 7, 1 Peter chapter 4. Be serious and discipline yourselves for the sake of your prayers. And above all, maintain constant love for one another. For love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. And like good stewards of the grace of God, serve one another with whatever gift each of you has received with whatever gift you have received. Just as Kelly spoke so eloquently about, we all have gifts. And I know someone's thinking, but Amy, listen, I'm not a baptizer, I'm not a discipler, and I'm certainly not a teacher. We're praying for teachers going back to school, right? That's not me. God's not called me to that. And if you submit to that kind of thought, then, then you're a lighthouse, right? You're, you're being threatened by just over being overtaken by the ocean. If you stand back and you don't go with the gift that God has given you, God is calling us out, calling us forward to serve with various gifts. We're all in the same boat. Now, we may have a keeper, Hopefully that's Larry. He's our keeper, right? And the keeper of the lifeboat, if you will, the, the boat that goes into the surf, steers. And he's the only one that has the vision for where we're going. But the surfman, the crew, sits backwards to the storm. And their only job is to row at the direction of the keeper. And with whatever gift you have, you are called to go out and row with everything you and I have. Now, Jesus calls us to team up and go in pairs. 
And so you find someone who's like-minded and go to Christian ed or, or mission anywhere in the community. Do your job. Be a great mechanic. Be a great teacher. But row, row, row. In fact, surfmen were known to have lost their jobs when they just so much as turned their heads to look at where they were headed. Because the keeper said, you keep your mind on your task alone, and that's to row. Don't compare yourself to the other gifts that people have or where you're headed, but row, row. You have to go out. It reminds me of when Jesus said, whoever puts his hand to the plow will not look back. In Luke chapter 9, and right after that, in Luke chapter 10, there is one parable. Hopefully it's already come to your mind. You see, there was someone trying to challenge Jesus, always somebody trying to challenge Jesus. He had lots of storms of his own. And they said, well, what does it take to get eternal life, Jesus? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Well, who is my, right? Who am I going to? He said, well, I have a story for that. Jesus always had a story for that. So there was a priest, and a Levite, and a Samaritan. And the priest in the story is the religious leader of the time. And he passes by the wounded person who's afflicted. The religious leader passes by. Well, that's probably who he was talking to, so they're already offended. And the next person passed by is the observant religious person. He was probably there every time the doors are open. Maybe that's more like you and I than I'd like to admit. But they're in a hurry, probably to get to temple, right? The Levite on their way. And then the third person, the Samaritan, and that simply means like a mixed-race person that doesn't really know where their religious passion lays. They're confused. But that person goes and helps. He went out of his way. He went. He had to go out. Something compelled him to go out of his way to bandage his wounds, to see that it was done. And so then Jesus asks, so who loves his neighbor? And what does Jesus reply? The man replied to Jesus, the one who had mercy. The one who had mercy. God is calling us to show mercy in every relationship, work relationship, family relationship you have. Mercy is the key to going and discipling. How does our community know that we love them, but to love them with mercy? And I tell you, if you go out and you don't know what to do or what to say, show mercy. In a culture that says, show them no mercy, we are called to be different. 
In fact, the theologian John Wesley said, real Christians, and by that he meant people who profess Christ and live it out, are people who demonstrate mercy, who are on the path of sanctification from a, a comfort station Christian. And maybe that's where you're at. You just need direction down the way. To a lighthouse, someone who, who knows the words, right? But now God is calling you on to something greater, to be one who goes into all the world, like we heard last Sunday, all the world. As a life and soul saving man or woman of God. There's a quote from uh, this particular book. As a mother of an 11-year-old, uh, the spirit of adventure intrigued me. And as I've been talking and sharing with you about God calling us to great adventure, to go out, there's adventure that comes with that, is there not? When you go, you don't know what will happen. And adventure, the definition is, is that it's unusual or uh, could be dangerous. But here in this book, he says, find the right quote. I loved it. I just wanted to quote the whole book for you. Did I know one? You have to work within the group. That is a scout group he's talking about. It's like in scouts. Not everyone can lead. Someone comes up with a plan, and you may not agree with that plan, but you have to go along with it. It may be the best thing you have going. That definitely came in handy in Alaska during survival training. You said there are all kinds of trainings that we go through, and we have to follow the keeper, the leader. But I challenge you to follow Christ. Now, most of this book is about scouting. Are there any scouts here? Show of hands. Yeah, a few scouts, great. Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, anybody know a scout? Keep your hands raised, yeah? Yeah, we all met some scouts, right? What is the scouting motto? Be prepared, be prepared. And so, as a, as a mother of an 11-year-old who's interested in all things outdoors, I've been trying to educate myself, so I bought myself the Scouting for Boys manual. Arguably, it says, the all-time bestseller in the English-speaking world, second only to the Bible. Thank you very much. It probably is the most influential manual for youth ever published, 1908. So I've been reading. I'm curious. As the daughter of an Eagle Scout, as the wife of an Eagle Scout, I thought I've got a lot to learn. So here it is. Number four of scout law. Be prepared in mind by having disciplined yourself to be obedient to every order and also by having thought out beforehand any accident or situation that might occur so that you know the right thing to do at the right moment and are willing to do it. Right? It's one thing to know, but we have to be willing to go out and do it. 
And then it says, be prepared in body by making yourself strong and active and able to do the right thing at the right moment. And do it. You have to go out. You have to do it. Now, Lord Baden-Powell that wrote this book in 1908. I mean, that's amazing, right? You know the scouting movement that swept the world. He grew up in a Judeo-Christian home. A lot of these principles are very noble. Sacrifice, service before self, God and country. But Baden-Powell, knowing that this would be a worldwide movement, said, any God is fine. Worship as you please, but worship. And after seeing the movement sweep the world, and generations of scouts, actually, growing up under his leadership, it was that movement that, that outlasted his life. But in 1941, in the midst of the scouts that he had trained up battling in war fields, perhaps against each other, he died. He's buried in Kenya, Africa. There's a national park there. In fact, you can find his bones and those of his wife today. The scouting movement is different from the Christian movement. Why? The scouts are prepared in body and mind. They go out. But Jesus said, go and remember, I am with you always. You see, you can go to the grave of Jesus, amen, but his bones are not there. He is with us. Baden-Powell is no longer with the scouting movement. History will write or rewrite scouting. But we follow a leader who is alive and well, amen? And if you don't know that leader, let me just tell you, in Romans chapter 5, you've got to hear this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For the men and the women on a sinking vessel, that's you and me, at some point in our lives, on a sinking ship that will go nowhere, he died for us. Rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And yet he lives. He died. And yet he lives and he can still be with us. This movement of Christianity has no end. And 1 Peter 4, in 3, he says, be prepared. In 4, he says, to him be the long, the glory, and the power forever and ever. Amen. So when he says go out, he's not expecting you to go on your own. And you don't have to question whether or not you're going to come back. Because he's with us to the end of the end. Is there any other movement you'd rather be part of than to know that you are swept up 
with the keeper of all keepers to the end of the age. In sickness and in health, he has us. I have more quotes and more material than I could ever get to today. Lord, help me shorten this. One of the songs that we were going to play in the video, uh, for Josh's sake, actually, so he wouldn't have to prepare, but the Lord took care of that, was a Stephen Curtis Chapman song from 1992, The Great Adventure. Anybody know that song? I thought we'd play it really for Johnny Walker. It goes something like, all right, Josh, you ready? Here it comes. I'm going to try it. Let me get the words. I don't want to miss the words. Saddle up your horses. I got a trail to blaze. Is that it? There we go. Does that sound right, Johnny? You remember that? Maybe Kelly knows it. She's probably in third grade. I don't know. Through the wild blue yonder of God's amazing grace. That's for those Air Force people, right? Through the wild blue yonder. He says, I'm going to leave long-faced religion in a cloud of dust behind. Saddle up your horses. We've got a trail to blaze. We'll travel on over mountains so high. I love the screen went up so we could see the mountains. And valleys so low. Still through it all, we'll find that this is the greatest journey that the human heart will ever see. The love of God will take us far beyond our wildest dreams. Amen? Am I the only one on this great adventure? So this couple just had their honeymoon up in Alaska. Ryan and I, 14 years ago, were married. And in Florida, elevation 20 feet, you know? And my Eagle Scout husband took me on a Hawaiian, not a Hawaiian, an Alaskan honeymoon. No kidding, that quaint village of Seward, Alaska was our honeymoon. And it rained sideways, and I've never been so cold and frozen. It was so romantic. And then to top it off, we went to the halibut fishing capital of the world, young love. So I know what you're doing. That's great. It was a great adventure. But you know what made it more special is yesterday with my 11-year-old and my 6-year-old already on a peak the sun on my back and the wind in my face and looking at this beautiful adventure God has given us and saying to my husband, this is what I expected to see on my honeymoon. <laughs> God has brought us so far. And will he not take us farther than our wildest imaginations could ever go? You see, the Great Commission isn't sort of a one and done, check the box. It's a journey of eternity, not just a journey of a lifetime. It's not just from here to there. Because we have to go out, and guess what? We're not coming back. We can't go back. So go, go with a great adventure. And we're well aware, and I know that, that in adventure there is pain. So let's go back to 1 Peter 4. Because the caption in 1 Peter 4 is this. Suffering as a Christian. 
because the rain falls on the just and the unjust, amen? And we will suffer. And I truly believe that in my children's generation, the suffering will intensify. So if you won't go for yourself, go for them. Go for your children and your friends' children. This is what the Lord says. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place among you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice as you share Christ's sufferings, so that you may also be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. Verse 16. Yet if any of you suffers as a Christian, do not consider it a disgrace. But glorify God because you bear this name. But glorify God because you bear this name. Now, if you allow me the personal privilege, just stay with me here. We have to go out, right? It's a command. It's a commission. It's an adventure. But the kicker is, as a Midwestern would say, if we don't go out, then what? We suffer. If we do go out, we suffer. So wouldn't you want to go with Christ? That in all things he could be glorified? That all things will be redeemed and brought right? So a way that I study the Bible is when I say, sufferings I'm going to put in. You have to go out. I'm going to reread it here. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that is taking place to test you, as though something strange is happening to you, but rejoice as you share in Christ having gone out for me. He went out for you, for us. Suffering so that we would be glad and shout for joy when his glory is revealed. Yet if any of you has to go out as a Christian, do not consider it a disgrace, but glorify God because you bear his name. And let those who have to go out in accordance with God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while continuing to do good. Now, as I've heard it, a good scout does a good turn daily, right? That might be something we could adopt. Do a good turn daily. But entrust yourselves to a faithful creator while doing your good so that he would be glorified all the more as we see the day approaching. So what will we be, church? Will we be a stoic lighthouse with only one message? Turn away! Will we be a comfort station where we send people away, maybe well-fed? That's good after the potluck, but people need a savior, one who would die for them so that they could live with him forever. Be prepared in mind and in body to do it. 
Give an answer for the hope that you profess. Semper Paratus. Be ready always to act, to do, to show mercy whenever it's in your power. Be ready to go out because we're not coming back. God be the glory for now and ever. Amen and amen. I'll invite the praise team to come forward and close our service. While we're getting set here, you could reach in front of you and pull out your hymnal for this next song. I do not know the number, but you can look it up. It's the old rugged cross. And then please stand as we worship. Three hundred and twenty-seven. Three hundred and twenty-seven. On a hill far away stood an old rugged cross. The 